When you think of New Orleans, Mardi Gras, king cakes, and crawfish might be what come to mind. But be careful on how much you go out indulging in, because if the legends are true, those who sink their teeth into too much might themselves become what is indulged upon. But before we begin, if you love cryptids and want to learn the full story, both the legends and the facts delivered as a narrative story, then this guided tour is for you. Parade on over and tap that subscribe, like, or review button depending on where you watch or listen. Now, adorn your masks and get ready, the tour is about to start. I'm Cody, and you're touring Cryptids Across the Atlas. France had already been an established presence in the New World for decades, but on May 17, 1673, explorers Louis Joyer and Jacques Marquette began their exploration of the Mississippi River. Assuming they would ultimately end up in the Pacific Ocean, they set off to find new western trade routes, but when they reached the mouth of the Arkansas River, they had to replot their course. This miscalculation and years of further exploring ultimately led to rounds of ships making their way into the Gulf of Mexico, and by 1683, French settlers had established a new colony, La Louisiane, named so in honor of King Louis XIV. This land was a strategic stronghold, offering trade routes from the Mississippi across the Delta and into the Gulf. With such an economic prowess, the people of La Louisiane quickly established a city rich in their French roots, and in a short 17-year span, New Orleans became ground zero for French culture in southern North America. But unlike the Puritan settlers before them, the French brought a flair for the fabulous. Their Catholic roots, while still religious per se, gave them a more relaxed gospel that allowed for the growth of fine dining, luxurious living, and a love for fun. Mix this over time with the African and Hispanic influence that also began to call this land home, and you get the Louisiana we know of now, a swampy, humid place inhabited by a rich culture that has grown over generations. And a few mosquitoes, by the way. But if you hearken back to episode 31, it might not come as a surprise to you that when the French came to the New World, they brought more than pastries and art. Because if the legends that have risen out of Louisiana's swamps are true, the French might have just brought over a monster in their midst. Now, just as a prerequisite to this episode, I need to do a very minor dive into a bit of religious practice. I promise that very quickly this will all connect, but just humor me for the next few minutes. As someone who spent their life growing up in a church setting, I can say firsthand that sometimes you just want a break. A Sunday spent chilling on the couch with a cup of coffee and a cozy book or TV show is all too appealing after a five-day grind and a Saturday spent catching up on household chores. But for many devout religious practitioners, this is an absolute no-no. Now, Catholics have often been accused of being anything but strict in many of their practices. Many would say that the Catholic faith is for those who follow the guiding principle, forgiveness is easier to obtain than permission. I mean, just look at modern Mardi Gras celebrations, which we'll touch on more in a second. But if there is one thing most Catholics take serious, it's Lent. Now for those unfamiliar, Lent is a 40-day period of fasting before the Easter holiday. 
Officially formalized by the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, this time of limiting alcohol, media, and sweets is to symbolize the time Jesus spent in the desert before beginning his public ministry. This is actually where the Mardi Gras festival comes from, giving Catholics a time to overindulge, if you will, before the fasting season. But what if you, hypothetically of course, were a Catholic who decided to not worry with Lent this year? I mean, who wants to give something up for 40 days? Maybe you just don't really see the point in having to add one extra rule to your daily routine. The honest answer to that is, other than disappointing your parents or faith leaders, you're probably going to be fine. After all, these traditions are more about the mental observance and the spiritual gain than the physical sacrifice. If you choose not to participate, that's ultimately your choice. But just know that to many, especially those who are more superstitious, and especially if you live in the deep south of the Louisiana Bayou, you might not be as safe as you'd like to believe. The Rougarou. Descending from the French loup guru, which means wolf lycanthrope, is yet another French werewolf legend brought into the New World. But this werewolf isn't your run-of-the-mill infected farmhand let loose on the village. No, this cryptid beast has a more holy mission to pursue. According to Louisiana legend, practicing Catholics who knowingly and willingly refuse to participate in Lent in any way, or those who choose to hunt a living creature during the time of Lent, for meat or sport, mind you, run the risk of attracting a Rougarou. These werewolves of God's holy army transform around the Eastern season to hunt down and prune off the less formal practitioners and to send a ripple of fear through the faith that the traditions are to be followed. But if Rougarous are werewolves, that must mean that they were once people, right? And if that is the case, how does one become a Rougarou? According to the legends, if one decides to ignore Lent for seven consecutive years, and they choose to ignore the warning encounters of Rougarous from years past, then on the seventh year, they themselves will shift into a Rougarou, where they will instinctively join the hunt for other non-practicing Catholics to um, encourage them to fall in line with their religious practices. There's even a tale of a young boy who was out for an evening stroll for oysters along the Gulf when he was approached and attacked by a Rougarou. The monster lunged at the boy and in his defense he swung his oyster knife at the beast, slashing its arm. In an instant, the act of violence against another living being transferred the curse onto the child, turning him into a Rougarou and freeing the man previously infected. The good news is, barring physical violence against another living thing, you have seven years to practice Lent at least once, then the countdown resets. And if you're a big enough rebel and end up becoming a Rougarou yourself, no worries. You'll only be stuck transforming into a lycanthropic state every single night for 101 days. After that, you'll recover from your lycanthropy and revert back to being a normal, everyday human, albeit with a much deeper respect for the faith you so carelessly ignored. But if 101 days seems too long to stalk around the countryside as a wolfman, not to worry, because if you, being a Rougarou after all, happen to find and bite another non-Lent observing Catholic, 
then you can instantly transfer that curse off of yourself and on to the next poor soul who didn't heed the practices of their faith, just like in the story we heard before. Oh, and don't think that after this whole bout as a werewolf, you're going to go bragging about it to your friends. Because those who have previously been inflicted with this form of lycanthropy dare not speak of the terrible deeds that they had done in this state of mind. After all, admitting to crimes like those would surely land you a lifetime behind bars or worse. The tale of the Rougarou has taken on many different shapes through the years, intertwining with different cultures and beliefs along the way. Some Rougarou accounts vary stating that wicked men choose to take on the form of a Rougarou, while other tales claim that simply looking into the eyes of those inflicted with lycanthropy can spread the curse to you. Then there are the tales that the Louisiana werewolf is a result of witchcraft. Witches would perform a ritual of sorts against those that offended or threatened them, causing a lycanthropic state to overtake their victims in the middle of the night, often leaving the recipient of the curse with large gaps in their memory during the time they prowled about as a dogman. And interestingly enough, and on par with these religious traditions, many have also claimed that the Rougarou is a result of New Orleans voodoo, a form of ritualistic shamanism. This form of magic is a mix of traditional African religious practices brought over by the first African slaves in 1719. Over time, these African practices blended with Roman Catholic traditions to form an entirely new system of magical practice. There are even tales of the Ojibwa people referencing the Rougarou, though it's important to note that most likely the Native Americans picked this word up from French trappers and associated it more with a Bigfoot-like being or, as they quote, hairy human of the woods. So with so many different verbal accounts of this cryptid, what is it we're really dealing with? Have you ever played the game of telephone in grade school? The game where you make up a phrase, whisper it to the next person, and then they whisper it to the next person after that, etc, etc. And by the end, you see how dramatic everything changed. The Rougarou is kind of like that. Despite the rich oral history we have of the creature, pinning down where this legend came from and what the original Rougarou story was is next to impossible. Every mouth that retells the story shapes it a little more into something ever so slightly different than it was. Every verbal account throughout history has done this. Every article I researched for this episode did the same. Even I'm doing it right now. Because we always put our own spin on things. Now I will say that with some cryptids, this can at least be in part circumvented with sightings. Sasquatch is the golden child of this idea. Many people across many places who never contacted one another report a similar thing. Large, hairy, smelly ape men of the woods with big feet. Heck, the Rougarou shares turf with one of these itself, the Honey Island Swamp Monster, that we'll cover in a future episode. But to be honest, the Rougarou doesn't really have any sightings I can find. Okay, I'm sure there are people who claim to have seen the beast. If I say there are no sightings, someone inevitably will hop into the comments and tell me how dismissive I'm being. Oh, and by the way, I encourage you to do that. Please tell me your stories in the comments or email us because all across the internet, I can't find any modern sightings of this thing. I found a few more 
big footage sightings that claimed they were a Rougarou, but that was more so because of the location of said sighting, more than because it fit the actual description. I also found one account of a possible video of a Rougarou, but according to the description, it's just a set of red eyes at night, and the video was taken down. And of course, I found article after article stating, and I literally quote, and sightings continue to happen to this day, which is kind of a cop-out way of saying, yeah, I'm sure some still claim to see the thing, but I can't find where they are, and I want to make the story still sound relevant to this day. So sorry to spoil one of those little secrets of the cryptid world, but people like to make things still relevant. So what is the Rougarou? Well, from what I can tell at least, it seems to be a beautiful piece of oral history that spans the globe, a tale used to keep children away from the woods at night, a story used to bolster a faith in trying times, a fun campfire story on a crisp autumn night, or possibly it's a piece of folklore layered on top of another piece of folklore or other unexplainable events. Maybe it's a way to rally a town stricken with the loss of a child to the clutches of the dark woods. Maybe it's a boogeyman to blame a tragedy upon. Or maybe there's something to it. Maybe these stories have been shared for centuries and have traversed continents because historically, this has been something to watch for. Kind of like how we're instantly afraid of snakes. And while I have my doubts that humans transform into wolves to carry out vengeful acts against folks who don't cross their spiritual T's and dot their religious I's, I do believe that humans are capable of devolving into monsters. Case in point, we talked about clinical lycanthropy in a previous episode. So who knows, maybe humans are just telling tall tales as a proverbial warning. Or maybe, somewhere throughout history, those same humans bore the teeth to match. If you love cryptids and want to learn even more about the creatures we just talked about, find us on TikTok or Instagram. Just search username at the cryptid atlas. By the way, the episode you just witnessed is both a podcast and YouTube video, so whichever format you prefer, we have you covered. Also, check out our interactive cryptid map to browse the globe and learn about cryptids from your favorite areas. Every single episode we make adds another pin to our map. You can find our social channels, the map, and more at thecryptidatlas.com. And when you find us, be sure to tap that follow button and get in on the action by dropping a comment on our recent videos. If you enjoy this show, consider sharing it on with a friend. And if you listen on Apple or Spotify, consider leaving an honest review to help other listeners know what to expect. Thanks for touring cryptids across the Atlas. Until next time, keep your eyes open. You never know what you might see just on the edge of the road.